Good morning, Cross Point. Hope you guys are doing well this morning. Children, you can be released. I see Jason and Martha back there ready to receive the kids and take them back to the classrooms. And if you will, uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. Hopefully you were able to uh, grab one of the scripture journals that we have. We have like a handful left, uh, so be sure to pick that up today. We have three left. The handful is getting smaller. We have three left. So if you want one, pick that up today. We also have a bookmark that I've already lost mine, so I'm going to need another one that has the scripture. Yeah, Carol has hers. Like, there it is. It has the the scriptures that we're going to be preaching in the coming weeks. My hope is that what that does is you can read ahead to just prepare your heart and make your own notes as you pray through the passage. And then as we talk about it uh, on Sunday mornings and then together in community groups, we pray that that will be a blessing to you. So as you turn to 1 John 2, the, today's passage in many ways is, it deals with some foundational questions I, I think we can have as believers, as people, whether you're seeking a new believer or a mature believer, like how is it that we can expect to have a relationship not just in dealing with that sin before a holy God, but what does it mean like after we trust Jesus? right? And then there's sin. And then what? Like, is it possible? Like, have you ever been there where you're like, am I even saved? (laughs) Am I a Christian? Like, is this just in my head? Like, is it even possible to know? And the resounding answer that we're going to see in today's passage is yes, it is. And John is going to be talking about that. And so I want to pray Because as we open up God's Word, I always want us to be aware we're not coming to this with human understanding, with our own wisdom and knowledge. We need the Holy Spirit to help us understand, perceive, know, apply His Word. And so I I want to begin by surrendering that before God in prayer, asking for Him to lead us this morning, and then we're going to read the passage together. So let's pray. Lord, I, I thank you for this time. Lord, as we're gathered together as your body, Lord, I pray that as we read your word, as we walk through it together, Lord, I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would help us to, to see, help us to, help us to have ears to, to understand the, the beauty of the truth, the weight of the truth. Lord, where conviction is needed this morning, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, there would be conviction. Lord, I pray for those who are, are hurting, who are in need of, of comfort and confidence of their belonging in you, Lord. I pray that by the, the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that that would be a felt and known reality this morning. Lord, this is not work that my words can do. And I am so aware of my own weakness in this moment. And so, Lord, we come before you seeking your spirit, your strength, your work in our life. And in Jesus' name, amen. So if you will, stand with me for the reading of God's word. I'm going to be reading verse 1 through verse 11 of 1 John chapter 2. Little children. I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. 
He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps His words, in Him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in Him. Whoever says He abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which He walked. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard, and at the same time, it's a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in Him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. This is God's Word. You can be seated. I think about even how these verses begin. Like, have you ever sent or, or received a text message or an email and the tone is completely misunderstood? Right? By you or someone else? Like, they assume maybe an angry turn, uh, thing, something that's frustrated. And so you respond thinking that they're frustrated with you and then it builds and all of a sudden you're like, well, that's not what I meant. I think that can happen even as we begin these verses. Like, my little children. Like, what's the tone that this is taking? It can be like, you calling me a child? You think I'm small? Like, what, you, you think you're the adult and I need help getting dressed? Like, we can take this as an offense, as if John is, is putting us down, little children, okay, stop acting like a child. But that is in no way the term here. This is in no way that the tone that, that it's taking. When, when he's saying, my little children, it's helpful to realize that John is about in his mid-80s, most scholars believe. He's been exiled now to slavery on the island of Patmos. He began following Jesus when he was probably in his early 20s. Right? And, and then he's walking with Jesus, caring for, for Jesus' mother, right? He's been there. He preached the gospel. There was the, the emperor Domitian who wanted to kill John and so put him in a vat of boiling oil to kill him. And when they put him in there, it didn't kill him. And so John kept preaching the gospel to him. That's what finally led him to be exiled to this island where now it's, you can almost imagine this idea of a grandfather, this grandparent looking at the child and saying, my little children. And this is something he himself has learned. Like John records in John 13, Jesus referred to the disciples in the same way. My little children. And so the same love that he has received from Jesus, he's responding to the church. And I think this is helpful lest we begin to read John's instructions with a tone that would be incorrect. And notice what he says, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. 
it's part of that misunderstanding that can happen. Have you ever said something and, and then you're like, so let me back up and make sure that you're understanding what I'm meaning? Like sometimes my kids make fun of me because I don't realize it, but up here I, I do this a lot and I step on both sides and I'm like, there's like two sides to this because I'm wanting to make sure that there's understanding here in the middle and there can be a misunderstanding on this side and there can be a misunderstanding on that side and, and what I'm meaning is somewhere in the middle. I think John is doing the exact same thing here. When he's saying, look, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Like, please don't misunderstand John is saying. And I think what he's referring to, I am writing these things, is what proceeds. What we talked about last week, verses 5 through 10. And, and specifically, if you look at verse 8 from last week, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. See, I think there's some aspects where this can lead to a fatalism. Like, well, I'm a sinner anyway right? Like, what does it matter if I sin? I'm always going to be a sinner. And we begin to, to live under this weight as if sin continues to have a power over us. And if it's just going to be like, well, I'm going to sin. And if I say I don't have sin, then I'm deceiving myself. Then what does it even matter? Why should I even try to live a holy life? I, and we think that what it means is to live this defeated life as a Christian, that we're always going to be bound by the power of sin. And so who really cares? And we just give up. And we excuse sin because we say, well, it's just who I am. But John's like, no, look, I'm writing these things that you won't walk in sin. But sometimes we can fall on the other side of it. If you look at verse 9, we can say, yes, our sins, and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, then I can it cannot be fatalism, but it's almost like hedonism, right? Like I can just live for my own pleasure, right? I can do whatever I want, sin however I want, and be like, oh, sorry, Jesus. And, and he's like our get out of hell for free card, right? Like, so we just then excuse sin, live however we want, and then just say, okay, sorry, Jesus, please forgive me. We're good. Awesome. Now let me just go continue living however I want. And as long as I confess, we're all good right? And this is where John's like, look, don't misunderstand me. I'm writing these things to you, that we would walk in holiness, that we would understand the gospel and walk in a way that is true. To not sin, to, to walk in the light, to have fellowship with God. He's like, this is why I'm writing this to you. And sometimes it can be like, oh, don't, don't preach the gospel of free salvation. We have to work for it because unless you pay for it, you're not going to value it, right? So Jesus did a little bit and you do a little bit. And if you just say salvation is a free gift of God, you cheapen grace. And John's like, by no means. No. This is the gospel. And, and grace was not free. Salvation is free to us, but it was purchased by the priceless blood of Jesus Christ. It cost, not us, but it cost Christ. And so you, I, I want you to kind of feel that this tone and the language of this old man, this seasoned saint, looking to the church, pleading them with love and care. Like, here's the truth, and I, I want you to know it so that you walk in holiness.
But then when you see it continue, but if anyone does sin. Because there's a reality. Like we feel this tension, don't we? Like if we're honest, we feel this tension. We have been saved by grace and it's beautiful and we can sing about it. And yes, we are called to walk in the light and then somebody's going to cut me off and I'm going to say something I shouldn't. This is like the reality that I live in. And and this is what I I feel like John is saying. But if anyone does sin, and here's the beautiful thing about it, there's no qualifiers. If anyone, well, what kind of anyone? A good anyone? A bad anyone? A Jew anyone? A Gentile anyone? A white someone? A black someone? An Asian someone? A tall, a short, a skinny, a fat? Like, what kind of anyone? anyone. There's no qualifier for who this anyone is. Anyone. We see it later. Like This is true for the entire world. All people, this is true if anyone does sin. And it's the same thing. Like, any sin? Like, what do you mean by sin? See, sin, in reality, it means to miss the mark. If you imagine shooting at a target, right? And there's a bullseye there. But the bullseye is only the size of the bullet. Like, and unless you hit this dead on, you've missed the bullseye. And that bullseye, for all of us, is perfection. Because we were created in the image of God, He's holy, He's perfect, right? We were called then to reflect who He is one degree off of that standard, is called sin, missing the mark. Well, then what kind of sins will God forgive? Like some churches will want to say, well, there's different kinds of sin. There's categories of sin. These sins can be forgiven. See, if you miss the bullseye by five inches, we'll forgive those. But if you miss by more than five inches, sorry, you're on your own, buddy. Those are mortal sins. But it doesn't say that. Like, we can just read it too quick. If anyone does sin, if anyone misses the mark, and and sometimes it's not even that you miss by a little bit or a lot, but what if you don't even take the shot? What if you're like, well, I don't want to mess it up. I'm a perfectionist, so then I'm not even going to try. Even that's called sin. It says in James, it's not just the things we do wrong, but not doing the right things is also sin. And all of it, is being covered. That's the amazing thing. And so the question is, are you anyone? And have you sinned? Like, there's a part here where you're like, yeah, that, that's me. I'm someone, and I've sinned. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteousness. And this is where it begins to paint a picture for us. It's like this TV court drama, like law and order playing out, right? God is the judge, perfect, holy, a a light exposing every fault we have. It's as though we're, we're at the defendant's table, And our life is now on trial. And Satan is the prosecutor, the accuser. 
is how it says in Revelation 12.10. And he's bringing witness after witness, event after event. Look what they did here. Look how they missed the mark there. Look what they didn't do here. In event after event, witness after witness, the prosecution lays out its case before a holy God. And it's one of those things where you just kind of want to run and hide. Right? But you can't. And, and, and you can't argue with it. You can't fight against it. And little by little, it feels like you're dying inside. The shame, the things that you don't want other people to know about you, the things you've done, the things you've thought now being spoken out in the open before God who is perfectly holy. What opportunity do you have? What chance do you have? And the penalty for these wrongs is the death penalty. And you know you have nothing to say. And, and if someone is on trial for murder, do you say, well, they, they, they are also a nice person. Like they helped this lady across the street. Never mind that they killed this person. No. Like when we are on trial for sin, there's no sense of like, but I also did some good things, God. The condemnation is there and we are accused before a holy God. And then this is when it says... We have an advocate with the Father. One who is called alongside in time of need. That's how it would literally be translated. But it's also more than this. It's more than just him standing beside us. It's just more than him just sitting back, watching them with us as we stand under condemnation. It's saying that Jesus is our advocate. He speaks on our defense. He is our defense lawyer, one who speaks on our behalf as we stand trial. And as the prosecution rests its case, Christ then stands up in the court of heaven and speaks on our behalf. And he's like, yes, your honor. They are guilty of this and so much more. But he was guilty. But he is no longer. By faith, when we trust in Jesus, the righteous, he is our advocate. It says that he is our advocate in our place and he stands between us and God and he says this person by faith has trusted in me and the punishment the death penalty that he deserves for what he did has already been paid in my blood it has already been satisfied it no longer needs to be poured out because it has been satisfied in my sacrifice. And not only that, but when it's talking about that Jesus Christ, the righteous, He is the propitiation for our sins. It means the atoning sacrifice. Something is taken and something is given. The punishment that we deserve is taken and we are given the perfection of Jesus. And so when the judge looks at us, when the Father looks at us, what he sees is not all of the faults, all of the failures, all of the things that we've been accused of. He sees the perfection of Jesus Christ. He is our advocate. He stands in our defense, in our relationship to God. 
There's a side note here. It's not in the text, but I just think it's beautiful. This same word that John uses here for Jesus in being our advocate is the same word that John uses for the Holy Spirit in his gospel. What is often translated helper. So in John 14, 16 and 17, it says, and I will ask the father, Jesus is saying this, and he will give you another helper, another advocate to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Here's what has struck me about this. As we stand before God in relating to God, we have an advocate in Jesus Christ who pleads our case, who took our punishment, gives us his righteousness so we can come to the Father without fear. But there's also an advocate as God relates to us in his relationship with us in the person of of the Holy Spirit who convicts of sin, who comforts, who counsels. We have an advocate on both sides of this relationship with God. And it makes me think about the the passage that I'm encouraging us to memorize throughout this year in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, because it's a prayer that the Apostle Paul prays for the Ephesian church. And I want it to be a prayer that we are praying for ourselves and one another. But one of the things that it talks about is that the love of God is something that we would understand and experience. Not just to know in our minds, but to also experience and feel in our hearts. And this is what I see in this image of Jesus standing as our advocate is something I want us to have in our minds that we are believing when we trust on Jesus Christ, who he is and what he has done. This is something that that we need to know, to understand. But it's also a truth I want you to feel the warmth of. I want you to feel the desire for God. And that's something that the Holy Spirit has to do. Where it's not just something you know intellectually that you can take a test on. But that you experience the reality. And this is what I see that we're not alone in, in how to do that. Like heart, feel happy in God when you're down. How do you do that? I plead to God that by the power of the Holy Spirit, I would be able to feel the truth that I know to be true that I don't feel. This is how my prayer life works. What I know to be true, I want to walk in the reality of that in my heart. And this is what it invites us into. That he is the propitiation for our sins, not only ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So how then do we walk in this? What then does it look like to walk in the freedom that this talks about? 5.1 says, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. That Christ has set us free. And here's the thing. Though sin still lingers, 
its power has been broken. And so this is what I want you to see playing out in your mind is in the courtroom of heaven, we were condemned as sinners. Imagine like this ball and chain clamped to your leg. And wherever you went, whatever you did, it rolled behind you. It was always there. In the good things you did, in the bad things you did, it was always part of you. And the, the punishment for that was death. The punishment of sin was death. But in the courtroom of heaven, Jesus pronounces that punishment has been satisfied. And so the punishment of our sin has been wiped away. But now you have the power of sin in our life. That Jesus also frees us from. This ball and chain that has been with us is now loosened from us. We can run free, unfettered. It is no longer does it have power over us. In this but it still remains. Its presence is still there as if it's sitting in the corner. And sometimes in our foolishness, we look back at the moments when we were tied down by sin and we're like, wasn't that fun? No. And we forget the condemnation it brought. And we forget the pain that it brought. And we want to pick it up now and carry it with us, thinking that whatever is going through our mind at the moment, This is what John is getting to as he continues in this passage of understanding the the Christian's relationship to sin. We have been freed from the penalty of sin. We've been freed from the power of sin. But it is still present until Jesus returns or we die and go to heaven. And then sin will be no more. And so how then do we walk in freedom? Having been set free. This is the reality of knowing God. When it talks about knowing God, like if you look in in these verses, it's used four times. It says, by this we know that we have come to know Him. Whoever says, I know Him, by this we may know that we are in Him. This knowledge that it's talking about, what does it mean to be in Christ, to walk in Him? What is this knowledge that we're being invited into? What does it mean to to know that we're saved, to know God? It is so much more than just an intellectual knowledge. Like I fear culturally that Christianity has been reduced to purely a set of tenets that if we say we in our opinion, would agree to, then we're okay and can live however we want. John is going to make sure that if that is you, and all you have is some opinions about God, and a life that runs contrary to his teachings, then you should examine whether or not you're actually saved. This is the reality and weight of the passage. But it's also saying, you can know that you know God. There's the positive side that you can know that you are in Him. David Allen, in his commentary uh, under the Preaching the Word series, says this, knowledge of God 
is a robust concept that covers not only what you know about God, but also includes a personal relationship with God that begins with faith. It also includes an ever-deepening relationship and fellowship with God that is evidenced by love for Him and obedience to Him. Again, this is why I think the mind and the heart are important. It's not just what you think about Jesus. It's also about the affections and obedience of your heart. That you can know God and you can know that you know Him. In verse 4, it says, whoever says, I know Him. Like, I know Him. And by this, no, again, not just in your mind, but you're saying, I know Him. I know Him in my head. I know Him in my heart. But does not keep His commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in Him. In that same commentary, it says that if you have no interest in doing what God says, if God's principles and commandments are of little importance to you, that should be a red flag that you may not be a Christian. Think about that. This is where, when I was praying, I think some need to feel conviction and others this morning need to feel comfort. See, I think some are laissez-faire in their faith. They think that, oh, I just, well, I believe that Jesus is God and he died and I prayed that when I was four years old and so I'm good, right? I can just do whatever I want. I've confessed my sins, he'll forgive them and I can just live however I wish. And the reality is what John is saying, you may be lying to yourself. If you're calling that knowing God, And there's no desire for him. There's no conviction when you sin. There's no affection toward him. If if your faith hasn't produced that in you, it's a red flag. And, And that's the key. It's not that our works, what we do, cause faith. What it's saying is our faith produces in us a life of walking with God because he has taken the penalty. He has freed us from the power of sin. So now we can walk in freedom and there's a sense of, I want to walk in freedom and there's conviction when we go back and pick up the ball and chain. And it's like, why did I do that? That shows that we're in relationship with God. But if you're like, I don't care, that's when there is concern. That if we just claim to think rightly about God, but we live intentionally contrary to his teachings, I pray that you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit this morning and trust in Jesus, maybe for the first time, even if you've grown up in church, even if you're like, I've done this all my life, even if you think you've done all the right things, if it did not lead to faith and a transformed heart, I pray that it leads to repentance. But then it continues, and I want us to see the beauty of what it says in verse 5. But whoever keeps his word, in him love of God is perfected. 
Here's why I think this is so beautiful and the caution here as well. Obedience is not a means to faith. I want you to hear me carefully. This is where I feel like John, like, (laughs) are you understanding what I'm meaning? Obedience does not cause faith. Faith produces obedience. And what this is saying is that as we obey and walk with God, because of what he's done, he broke the power of sin. He, he broke the penalty of sin. We are walking with him, it says. Then his love is perfected in us. How is that love perfected? What does that mean? And here's why I want to go back to the original language again. Because why it's so beautiful. Because we can read that and we can think, oh, as I walk with Jesus, as I follow him, I'm going to become, because of my obedience, I'm going to become more and more like him. And, and I'm going to perfect Jesus' love in my life. Isn't that cool? And that would be a complete misunderstanding of what this passage is saying. And the reason why we know that is because this word perfected, there's different voices that's used in the original language of Greek. Some of those voices are active. I hit the ball. Right? Or there's the passive voice. The ball hit me. Those are very different things, right? This is in the passive voice, which means it is God who is at work in us, perfecting his love in us as we walk with him. So this is the image I want you to have and and why I think for others, there can be a confidence that you know that you are in relationship with God that you know him and he knows you, because if you are walking with him and there is a longing to know God, that is his work at work within you. If there is conviction because of sin, that you're like, I desire to know him more. My heart is broken when I stumble and fall and when I pick up my sin and I call it pleasure, and then I feel the shame and the guilt, and I feel like I'm stumbling and stumbling, but my heart feels the weight of this. That is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. You can know that you know God because there is conviction of sin. There is affection for Him. It does not mean you're perfect. And this is why I find this tension in John's language. Like, I want you to not sin, but I know you're going to sin. And when you sin, you're going to come back to Jesus, who's your advocate. But don't use him as an excuse to live however you want. Do you feel the tension in what he's trying to share? This older man who's been through it, who has a life well lived. He's been in the darkest valleys of persecution thinking he's going to die until God miraculously saves him. He's been at the height of the mountaintop. He was there when Jesus was transfigured before him. He's been at the highest highs and the lowest lows, and he's like, I want you to understand God's heart here. If you confess your sins, he'll forgive. We have an advocate. Don't use it as an excuse to sin. You can have confidence in your salvation 
that if you are experiencing conviction and a desire to know God more, and there's even pain maybe in the dryness, know that you know God and you are known by Him. But if your heart is cold, unaffectionate, you hate your brother, as it says in the later verses, and you're just excusing it, then you could be lying to yourself. And so, what do you need this morning? Conviction or comfort? Because the Holy Spirit is here for both. When I think about how to tie all of this together, it's in the story that is unfolding. Satan is our accuser. Is how it says. Like he, he wants to accuse the brothers. He wants to sit there and, and bring up every fault and failure in your mind. And to, to have it just crush you and condemn you. And for some, that is the reality. Apart from Christ, if we had to stand in our own defense, we have no defense. But Christ is our advocate. The one, the only for all humanity. There is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. There is no other religion by which can make us right before a holy God. There is only Christ. And either He will be our defender or we will have none. And when Christ is our advocate, He stands between us and God making intercession. Taking our punishment, giving us His perfection. The Holy Spirit is our advocate in life as we are walking with God. We're not alone. We're not just trying to figure this out as we go. The Holy Spirit is with us, indwelling us always. This was a promise of Jesus. And so we can trust that when we feel conviction, not condemnation, that is from the Holy Spirit. We can trust that when we need comfort, when we feel abandoned, when we feel alone, when we feel broken, when we feel encouraged, God is present in the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And we can have certainty in that. That as we walk with Jesus in ongoing surrender, we walk in the light. In fellowship with God, we walk with Him. And, and, and this is what it looks like. It means some days you're going to experience victory and some days you're going to experience failure. And Christ is our defender. If, if you're excusing sin, then you may not be walking with Jesus. If you're just making excuses or you're using Him to get out of hell and then choosing to live however you want, I pray you experience conviction this morning. But if you're doubting because you've stumbled and you've fallen, I pray you experience comfort this morning. Let's pray. Lord, I am this morning. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I feel the weight of these difficult issues. I feel, you can feel John's heart in wanting us to know what it means to walk with you in holiness while we
experience the reality and conviction of sin. Lord, I pray that by your work, you would speak to hearts this morning where they are at. Lord, that if there are those here this morning who are just playing the game, saying the words, but their heart and their life is in rebellion to you, Lord, I pray that you would lead them in conviction and to repentance and to trust on Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for those here this morning who are hurting, who know you and are walking with you, and yet they feel their own brokenness and longing and insufficiency in the in their relationship, Lord. I pray that they would know your comfort this morning, that you are their advocate. You stand in their defense. They are not alone. Lord, let them feel the warmth of this truth. Lord, and we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.